You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 417. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash EP417. And just a little note that going forward from this podcast and beyond, all of the URLs will now have an EP prior to the episode number. So just know that uh, going forward. All right, here's the show. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. (laughs) Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hey, hey, everyone. Amy here, and I am thrilled to bring you another episode of The Joy Junkie Show. And today, we are going to be discussing diet culture and how that relates to women or those of us who identify as women or femme or non-binary folks who feel the pressure of diet culture and how it is really ascribed to women and what that looks like as far as our own body image. And something that I heard my good friend Susan say, who I'm going to try to give a call here in just a minute, and it really struck me. I was listening to her on a podcast, and she was talking about how when our minds are so incredibly occupied by what we're eating, what we're consuming, what our body looks like, if we're if we're doing the right exercises or judging ourselves for what we look like or if we've added weight or lost weight or whatever it is, that when our mind is occupied with that real estate, that it now has less time to focus on anything else that we want in our life. And she talks a lot to people about business and how the obsession with your body leaves you so much less mental bandwidth to focus on your business, to focus on abundance or the things that you want to create or pleasure or having fun in your life. So I want everybody to really think about that as we jump into this conversation today. I am going to dial up an expert on the subject. So Susan Hyatt is most certainly that. She is such an incredible force in this world. Let me tell you a little bit about her, and then I'm going to see if I can get her on the phone here. So Susan Hyatt is a master certified life and business coach and one of the world's leading voices on mindset, motivation, and how to become an unstoppable woman. So here's what I love that she talks about all the time and something that I think many women don't allow themselves to desire. Her number one passion is helping you get more of whatever you want, more money, more confidence, more energy, more joy, more free time to hang out with your kids, take that long overdue vacation, anything else you've been longing to do. I think that is so incredibly important because we get so many messages that we're not supposed to want more, that that's being greedy or we should be happy with what what we have and that ambition on women isn't attractive and all of these ridiculous patriarchal very misogynistic concepts that we really don't have to deal with anymore y'all so it's time to dismantle that 
Susan has been featured on national TV and magazines like the Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Seventeen, Women's World, and she was also a finalist for the Athena Award, which was recognizing leadership in the field of women's empowerment and entrepreneurship. So I'm going to link to all of her goodies in the show notes. You can always find that at thejoyjunkie.com slash EP417, and all of her social handles are, are there as well. And I will say, too, if you have not checked out my free workshop, please go and check that out. It's at thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. And what that is is a masterclass that I've put together for you that really chronicles five key shifts that you need to make in order to get you to that place where you genuinely believe that you are enough, that you are valuable. Because I'll tell you what, the reason why you don't love your current situation, whether it's a situation with your partners or maybe it's your family or maybe it's your work place, most of the time that comes down to an internal relationship with yourself. Because when you don't believe that you are enough, when you don't believe that you're valuable or worthy, you sure as shit start settling for a bunch of other nonsense in your life. That's when you allow people to walk all over you. That's when you don't ask for what you want in your in your career. That's when you don't speak up for things that are really problematic and bothersome to you. And A lot of times that's when we start adopting all of those people-pleasing and sort of perfectionistic behaviors. Maybe if I make sure everybody else is okay, maybe if I'm flawless and perfect, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be lovable. Then I'll be acceptable. So if that is you and you are done with that and you're interested in working with me in a much deeper dive, have a start by watching that workshop, thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. And then you'll know pretty quickly like, oh, yeah, this really hits home or "Mm, I don't know if this is really me. And then at the very end of that workshop, you'll see an opportunity to book a call with a member of my team where you can discuss what are the things that you've been up against currently? Where do you tend to beat yourself up the most? most? How are you in your own way? And where do you want to go? And then they can discuss if there are options for you to work with me further, where we can take a much deeper dive and start making some very concrete movement and shifting that internal belief that you're not enough. So obviously, one of the ways that that shows up for a lot of us is in our bodies and our relationship to food, our relationship to, quote, health and if we deem what we look like as acceptable or not. And Susan is definitely the person that we want to talk to about this. So I'm going to give her a ring and let's see if we can catch her. Hello? Susan, hey, what's up? It's Amy. Oh my gosh. You know, I have this thing called fuck around and find out Friday, but it's only (laughs) Thursday, but somebody is about to find out. Like I am seriously, can you hang on one second? Because I got to let my son know he is not staying at his mama's house tonight. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm back. I mean, listen, these 20 somethings, I thought like, I thought the toddler years were bad. I thought the teenager years were bad. I mean, this boy tries me 23 years old. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's so funny because my, so my husband and I don't have kids, but we've been together for 24 years. So we are constantly saying we could have kids going to college. We could have kids that are in their twenties. We're, and, and it's this, it's this mind blowing thing that we are the parents age. 
Like, I'm like, where, where are the parents? <laughs> it, and I have been, you know, obviously there every step of the way with these <laughs> children. And I'm still like, we're the grownups. Like, we're the ones who have to, like, have boundaries and rules here. We're in charge. Anyway, I'm giving you a ring because I'm hanging out over here with the audience and we've been discussing women and power and how that relates to diet culture. And I thought, okay, I've mm. got to give Susan a ring. Do you mm. have a, a little chunk of time where we could kind of dissect some of this stuff with you? Yes. My favorite topic. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I thought you would be flawless for this. So I know that you have talked a lot about kind of the hybrid between business and how that's impacted by how we view our bodies Mm -hmm. and hustle culture and diet culture are really, really analogous to one another. In fact, you've called them twins. So Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about that. What, what does that, what do you even mean by that? They're BFFs taking a selfie, I'm telling you. So the qualities of diet culture and hustle culture are the same. They are um, structures within the patriarchy, I believe, you know, designed to keep women distracted. And so when you think about diet culture, it's an external plan um, that takes a woman away from her power and focuses her attention on shrinking herself literally. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have to do these things. You have to move in this way. You have to eat in this way. It's never the right thing. The quote unquote ideal is always changing and it's never enough. I mean, it's always like what's next. And I was using this example with a class I was teaching yesterday that when I first became a runner, it was like a miracle. And I was so excited to be someone who could actually run. And so I ran my first half marathon and that was like a religious experience to me. I'm like, look at me doing this thing that I Mm -hmm. never thought I could do. And then as soon as that experience was over, I immediately signed up for a full marathon. And in the midst of training for the full marathon, I started getting sick and dehydrated and having injuries. And my body was really speaking to me like, why are we doing this? And and I had to question why. And, And the only answer was, well, isn't that what you do? You go to the next bigger and better thing. And I think that that's such a great example of how hustle culture is the same way with business. It's like you have to subscribe to a certain set of patriarchal beliefs, operate your business in a certain way. You better hustle. You better get off your butt. You better do it in this way. And it's never enough. The, The tools of measurement are, you know, money and how many customers and it, and it's never about what's happening inside. And so I find that women in business are working in the same way that they treat their bodies and how they eat. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really curious to hear you talk about this because one of the things that I think gets missed a lot in the conversation about the patriarchy and hustle culture, diet culture, is that it also is this massive detriment to men and how, or those who identify as men Mm -hmm. and how the patriarchy is not really helping all of us. It's just sort of this, this archaic structure that's been put into place. But even with your anecdote about, okay, I'm supposed to 
continue on with this marathon, even though everything intuitively in my body is saying, no, 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 no. That is such a, a masculine energy. And, Mm -hmm. and I really, I really don't like the terms masculine and feminine. I prefer strong and soft just because I think it gets so gendered in our society. But the idea that we always have to operate in a strength place. Mm -hmm. I mean, even from the neuroscience perspective, it's that is essentially putting you in your sympathetic nervous system nonstop. So no wonder we have fucking burnout and adrenal (laughs) fatigue and like, because we're not supposed to be having our nervous system fried like that all the time. I mean, you're so spot on. And, and, you know, I was talking with a therapist friend of mine and we were discussing this and she was saying, it's like, we're putting ourselves in fifth gear all the time and cars aren't supposed to operate that way. Human bodies certainly aren't supposed to operate that way. And for what, you know, when you start to really question like, why do I think I need to be smaller? Why do I think I need to always be going for the next thing? And, and why, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach. So I'm looking at my own industry here. It's like, who says you have to be your best self all the time? Like, what is this even uh, this striving about? Like, what, can't we just be right? Right. And I think I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think I've, I've heard clients of mine say this, and I'm sure you've had a similar experience where they said, I joined your program because I thought I needed fixing. Yes. And I realized what I actually needed was just to recognize and celebrate and honor who I already am instead of trying to change it all. And, and we also have it's sort of like where self-help has gone wrong, I think, too, where we think everything has to be the next level, the next learning, the next this, the next that. When it's when it's really just about how how can I be okay with where I'm at? You know, how can I love myself even though I haven't attained all of the things? But we put so much stock in that external achievement. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's interesting because I was coaching a client a few days ago and, and she, this is the work that we're doing because she has really been fixated on. I'm, I really must lose 60 pounds. And when I'm like, okay, but why, like, what what is going to happen for you um, with these 60 pounds? Where did you even get the idea about these 60 pounds? And, you know, in her mind, she was like, but but shouldn't I, like, shouldn't I want to be my best self and won't people like me more? I'll like myself more. And I said, oh, really? Um, why, why, hey. why, if your body is appearing 60 pounds lighter, where do you think you got the idea that you would like you more and other people would like you more? And it's really fascinating when it's like, let, like, let's look around at what you and your current, the way you're showing up today how amazing that is. And, you know, yes, if you want to do things from a place of like, what are the conditions I need to really take great nourishing care of myself? If that's moving in a different way or eating in a different way or having different kinds of conversations, whatever, rest, whatever that needs to be, let's talk about that instead of this 
end goal of must be as skinny as possible and must be as rich as possible. And I love, I I wrote down what you wrote about, or what you said about shrinking yourself, literally like that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Cause I thought about, okay, I've talked much about, we're not allowed to take up space, physical space, energetic space, right? There's this whole issue with women in power, but the idea that we're doing the antithesis of that, we are literally trying to shrink and take up less space. What a metaphor, what a metaphor for (laughs) everything that we were challenged with the origins of, of dieting, at least in the United States. Have you heard me rant about the graham cracker? No, I don't think so. Oh, this is going to get you mad. (laughs) Um, okay. So the, the, the first real documented diet in the United States was created by a Presbyterian minister, Reverend Graham. And Mm -hmm. he felt very strongly that in order to keep women in line, they needed a special diet. They shouldn't have protein that made them too promiscuous. So it was vegetables and a form of bread that he created that later became the graham cracker. Mm -hmm. So bread, veggies, water. In his opinion, that kept a woman in her place as pure and moral as possible, obedient. Because, right, right, like if that's all you're eating... You're not right. going to have the energy to do much. And that w- the, the origins of dieting in this country was not, had nothing to do with health, fitness, anything like that. It was absolutely a control tactic, which we know now, but it's like, it, let's take up a, a, the least amount of space. Let's be as quiet as possible. Let's literally shrink ourselves so that you know, we're focused on thigh gap and not wage gap. We're focused on thigh gap and not achievement and confidence gaps. And from the very beginning, that's how it was designed. And so when we talk about taking up space metaphorically, it's, it's thinking about where did we get these ideas that we should be as thin as possible? It's based in racism and it's based in misogyny from the beginning. Right. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard that story. I'm so glad that you shared that. And we can look back at all sorts of social constructs like that, that have kept women small Mm -hmm. Uh, marriage, like the idea that you have to be given away by (laughs) a father, the idea that you have to signify your purity. Uh, Or if we look at fashion throughout the you know, throughout history, it has been to heels, to be the least mobile, right? Yep. Fucking pockets. You can't have pockets because you're going to hold all your spells and your witchcraft in your pockets. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's everywhere you fucking turn. It has been, how do we shrink? How do we conform? How do we keep women, keep women small and keep women at bay? So, so I have a question for you. Okay. As it relates to hustle culture. Mm-hmm. And, and we're using that as I'm assuming sort of the definition of achieve, 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 achieve at all costs, right? Produce, produce, produce. Right. Right. Like can't run with the big dog, stay on the porch, no pain, no gain, you know, right. There's always idioms. How do you leverage that? Cause I'm sure you, 
experienced this a lot. And I see this a lot in you too, as somebody who is very high achieving, mm-hmm. I tend to work with a lot of people who are extremely high achieving mm-hmm. and how do you balance sort of being fulfilled by achievement and then feeling as though your entire self-worth is wrapped up in your achievement? Like where's mm. that fine line? This is such a juicy question. And, and my first knee jerk answer is um, I'm not fulfilled by achievement. So it's, I definitely am someone who is ambitious and, and I have goals and all those things, but they're fueled by pleasure and getting the actual thing isn't what fulfills me. My process or adventure or creative flex on the way to it is what fulfills me. So is it nice to reach a goal? Yes. Like, obviously I love that, but it's actually more the creative pursuit and endeavor towards the thing, which is not at all hustle culture related. Does that mean I don't get tired? Uh, Of course I do. Um, But I talk a lot about self-care as a business plan and in, when I'm talking about dismantling diet culture and hustle culture, I really think pleasure is the antidote because we're taught by hustle, by the patriarchy to deny our pleasure. And as women in particular, you you know, we're, we're wired from head to toe for pleasure, Mm -hmm. but we buy into and are steeped in this system of, but you can't have that unless you first do this. Right. And so I have found that I'm much more likely to achieve whatever it is I come up with, whether it's publishing a book or creating a program or, you know, going on a hike, whatever it might be, if I'm doing it from a place of like, what's, what's going to fulfill me and, and be pleasurable to me and feel like love rather than like no pain, no gain. Right. And I think, you know, that, uh, that's sort of the grand, your big why. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we even trying to accomplish that thing? Mm -hmm. And if you have a journey or a trajectory that's actually enjoyable, then it's not such a slog to get (laughs) to get where you want to go. Right. And I was I was coaching a client this morning who was just in tears because she has been trying a few things. It was one of those conversations where she was like, I've tried everything. And she's tried two things yep. and they haven't worked. And we were talking a little bit about not clinging so tightly to and working nonstop to create something that sells and instead being more willing to be in the process of creation and experimentation where it's like, let, let me deeply listen to, to my people and see like, what is it that they want? They, they don't want these couple things. Mm -hmm. So what is it that they do want? And can I be creative and come up with something that's fun for me that they want? And it's like so much wrapped into it, you know, impatience and making it mean something that you're not able to sell something in the way that you thought and all those things. But, you know, I honestly, um, by not, by working on myself for 15 years around hustle culture. Cause listen, prior I was hook, line and sinker hustle. I mean, all yeah. of us are steeped in it. It's like, it's not like a failing if you catch yourself, sure. you know, doing these things. Um, but 
by working on myself all these years, I now can um, be like, oh, they didn't want that. And it's not that thing is crap or I am terrible. It's like, oh, that's not what they want. Let me figure out what they want. Let me come up with something else. And yeah. it's fun rather than I must achieve this goal and sell this many units of this thing or it's all a failure. Right, right. Well, in the, one of the ways I see it show up a lot, this, um, the way hustle, like, cause pe- I'm thinking, okay, people might be thinking out there, oh, I- I'm not trying to create my own business. I'm not trying to have a side hustle that makes a shit ton of money. And maybe they don't identify as being this hyper ambitious person, mm-hmm. but I would be willing to bet that you judge the fuck out of yourself if you rest. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you're sitting down and you have a whole day where you, quote, do nothing except rest and relax, then if that is a problem for you, you have likely bought into hustle culture in some way. Right. It doesn't have to just be this type A. Oh, my God. Checking off all these accomplishments. Sometimes it's just the sheer fact that we don't permit rest. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that you brought that up because. Um, prior to running this business, I was a residential realtor, but prior to that, I was a stay at home mom. And there was a woman in my neighborhood. Her name is Kim. And she was hilarious. And she was sort of like the, the quintessential, like TV stay at home mom, where she baked all the time and like kept her house clean and gardened and did all those things. And I would just be like, I am a hot fucking mess <laughs> like compared to this lady. And she would bring me baked goods probably because she felt sorry for me. But my point is one time I was over at her house with my newborn baby and it was close to, I guess, dinner time. And all of a sudden she went and she got her vacuum and parked it near the front door in the foyer. And then she also got um, a can of pledge and sprayed it in the air. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, Mike's going to be home soon. And like that, he, he, that makes him think I've been busy. So <laughs> when, when you, when you think about it, it's like stay at home. Moms buy into hustle culture. Cause it's like, what'd you do all day? Were you right. productive enough? You know, did you clean enough? Did you bake enough? All that. So it's like, you don't have to have your own company to buy into hustle culture. It's like, I must be productive. My self-worth is tied into productivity is really what that puritanical hustle culture is built on. You know, even if we're looking at the message of the patriarchy and what each the two genders, right? Like that we're stuck in this narrative that there are only two genders. The idea that men are valued for their productivity, women right. are valued for what they look like. Right. So now we're in this double bind where men get to still chill out and stay in this hustle, 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 viewed, you know, valued for their productivity. But now women, if we want to be a part of the workforce and all of these things. Now we have to do both of those things. We still have to maintain how we fucking look and we have to hustle and be, you know, in the masculine, so to speak. So I can absolutely see how these two are so tethered together. I'm curious about your personal experience with diet culture, your relationship with your body. I could see people from the outside looking in going, okay, but you're so small. Of course Mm -hmm. you're, of course you can love your body. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, it's it's easy to say 60 pounds. Why do you, who cares? Like what has been your personal journey around body acceptance? So number one, I do get asked that question a lot or, or people say that to me a lot. And it's number one, it's in, in the past 14 years working with women on food and body issues. It's untrue that only women in larger bodies have issues with food and body. Of course. In fact, you know, almost 100%, unfortunately, of the clients I work with do. However, I have been 45 pounds heavier than I am now. And when I was 45 pounds heavier than I am now, it was I was heavily steeped in hustle culture, working all the time. These had these two little kids who are I started started this call ranting about my 23-year-old. <laughs> And like, but truly uh, my kids are 21 and 23 now, but they were out of the box kind of kids. You know, they, they didn't fit into um, any sort of traditional mold for parenting. And so I was overwhelmed and I was using food to cope food and alcohol to cope. Mm -hmm. And so I would pick them up from like kindergarten and pre-K and plop them down at my dining room table to do their little school worksheets. And I would heat up a wheel of brie and have some wine. And that was treating myself. Like Mm -hmm. I would eat the whole thing and really in an effort to disconnect from my dissatisfaction and my boredom and coming to grips with you know, my own realization that traditional momming was what I was supposed to like, but I didn't like it at all. And um, by lots of therapy and coaching, like figuring that out, that I was numbing my feelings and my emotions and coping by using food, which millions of people do. Um, And it wasn't until I really started looking at what was going on with me that had really nothing to do with anything external. Cause I tried to blame all kinds of people and things, my husband, um, the, the, the entire real estate industry, like you name it, I was kind of a victim of it. And, um, and I hated my body, you know, I, I started, or learned the conditioning of disliking my physical body at like 12 years old from 11 to 30 something yo-yo dieting and kind of going from the next thing, whether it was Weight Watchers, Adkins, whatever the, the, the uh, fad was. And it wasn't until I really started, um, stopped restricting and stopped buying into a lot of diet culture nonsense and really started figuring out like, how do I sit with myself? How do I feel my feelings? How do I stop using Oreos or cheese (laughs) to solve my problems? And through that process, I started to really see myself like Mm -hmm. what I really wanted and, and, and being honest with myself and also questioning everything, like questioning um, you know, why in the world do I think I'm too, you know, even 45 pounds heavier than I am now, I was not a large person. Right. Um, and so really dismantling all of those beliefs and judgments that I had, um, my scale weight didn't matter, but what did matter was what I was telling myself about it. And it was pretty self-violent 
like what I was telling myself. Pretty hateful. So many of us can relate to that. Before we go too much further, I wanted to take a quick moment to give a shout out to our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Shocker, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I have a personal motto that if you think you don't need therapy, you probably need therapy. Because without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is genuinely hard. The good news is therapy actually really does work. But what is it exactly? Well, it can truly be whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling super motivated right now. Hello, who among us, right? And maybe you want some tools to help or maybe you're feeling insecure in your relationships or in your workplace or maybe you're just not dealing with stress very well. Whatever it is that you need, it is time to stop being so ashamed of normal human struggles. It's time that you feel better because you deserve to be genuinely happy. And now you don't really have to worry about finding an in-person therapist that's near you or in your town because BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to even see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people, y'all, it's been over 2 million people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. As I mentioned, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Joy Junkie Show podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash thejoyjunkie. That is betterhelp.com slash thejunkie joy junkie. Now let's jump back into the show. I'm curious what your perspective is around how women relate to their bodies and how it doesn't really matter. It doesn't necessarily matter what size it is. We are raised to say it's not enough, like from the beginning. Right. But I do think though, that people who are in fat bodies experience so much more external stress mm-hmm. and that affects the internal stress, the internal experience more so than anyone who is midsize or, or small. hundred uh, percent. Okay. I was curious what, what your perspective is, because I, I don't want to negate anyone's pain or right. anybody's struggle. And I also want to acknowledge that it's a different thing operating in a disabled body, operating in a, you know, a fat body, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, so much of, um, when I was referencing the client who thought she needed to lose 60 pounds, I mean, part of her obsession with that 60 pounds was because a doctor told her so. So people in larger bodies or in fat bodies go to the doctor, they're discriminated against, at the doctor's office, at the gym, at the nutritionist, by culture at large. And absolutely their experience of just operating in the world is so different. And the discrimination that they receive is totally different than anything I experienced. Mine was, you know, buying into the messages of culture at large and what I did to myself. There wasn't, there wasn't someone, um, although there, I mean, even today there are comments hurled at my body, but completely different kind of experience for sure. I, I appreciate you, you saying that and acknowledging that. Cause I, I do think that sometimes we miss, okay. How does that personal development topic apply to a black woman or, mm-hmm. right. you know, uh, Brene, Brene's recent book with Tarana Burke, where they were talking about 
vulnerability and how the way that Brene always spoke about vulnerability didn't always land to people of color because they thought, uh, I'm in physical danger if I'm vulnerable. Right. So I think it's important for us when we're talking about these larger concepts that they, that we look at the nuance of people's experience. Uh, but I'm curious if we're looking at dismantling diet culture, dismantling hustle culture, people are listening and they're going, yes, fuck yes. I'm bought in. What do I do? Where do I start? So it's such a great question. And we, I mean, honestly, it's all part of white supremacy. So, I mean, to, to your point, um, so if, if any of anyone listening is like, oh my gosh, right. I'm right in the middle of operating. Like, you know, you may be listening to this and actively counting your almonds and, you know, on a strict diet and, you know, working 70 hours a week. And the first real step to it is awareness and not Um, shaming or beating yourself up because you literally have been trained to participate. And so just waking up to it can be like, whoa, okay, here's this thing I'm participating in that I want to opt out of. Well, um, it's going to take a little bit of considering what is it that you want to experience instead? If you want to work less, if you want to get off of the diet train, um, it really is about owning, okay, why did I think I wanted these things? Understanding the origins of where you got the idea and then deciding, okay, can I decolonize my bookshelf? Can I start Mm -hmm. um, curating my newsfeed? Can I start learning from other people with different perspectives about how I could do life differently? And honestly, I think most people need help dismantling this in their own lives. So the first key is awareness. The second key I think is learning like what else can you do? Um, and whether that means, um, joining Facebook book groups of like-minded people or hiring a coach or a therapist, or, you know, going to seminars, like finding ways to learn new information, to operate a little differently. For me, it was definitely, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. And then I, definitely went to plenty of therapy still do and started hiring people to help me make changes in my life because it, once you become awake to it, I don't know what your experience was like, but it felt a little overwhelming to me to try to make change by myself when I was all of a sudden kind of raw and sitting with all these realizations. Yeah. I, I, I'll be super candid. I'm in, I'm in a season of really grappling with my own weight Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I'm at this, this precipice of do I'm fighting, I'm fighting the compulsion to stay attached to the diet culture. Right. I'm in this place of like, but I was 20 pounds lighter just two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, we also just went through a collective trauma. It's, there's so much. <laughs> there's that. There's there, also there that. There is that. But like, I would really um, challenge you to question like, yeah, you were 20 pounds lighter. And so what? Right. Right. I, I think about that a lot. And I, so what I've done so much 
is, and I think I saw somebody talking about it. I want to say Summer Inanian, I believe was talking about it on Instagram. And I kind of went, oh shit. She said what people expect body acceptance to look like is stopping by the mirror and being like, oh my God, you're so fucking hot. You're so gorgeous. You're so this. She's like, what it really is, is walking by and being like, oh yeah, that's my body. And, mm-hmm. and I've been really toying around with that of, uh, of just saying like, oh yeah. What if, what if it doesn't fucking matter? Like, what if it just doesn't fucking matter? Isn't that revolutionary to think? <laughs> Like, honestly, and, and I agree with her. It's, it's more like, I mean, I think you can get to a point where you're like, look at me, like to yourself, like, look at this. Um, I'm amazing, but it really is more about the goal initially, I think is like just getting to a neutral place where you can look at gaze, see your reflection in a storefront window and not cringe. And also like, just be like, there I am. Like, that's how I'm showing up today. But I do think that it really is a revolutionary approach for a woman who, like we have been taught that our currency in the world is our appearance. And listen, I, I always joke about uh, RuPaul saying like, my creator made it and now I'm going to decorate it. Um, like I yeah. love fashion and I love makeup and I love all, you know, I, I'm not someone who's like in my own life, I enjoy my appearance and wardrobe and hair and makeup and all those things. However, I know that's not my worth now. And what if as women, it's like, what if we can operate in the world in a way where we do not believe that how we look is the most important thing about us? Right. Right. When we're taught that that is like how, like you better work on it. Yeah. And it, and what's interesting too, is with, with my own situation, it's very complicated because I grew up with such extreme religious dogma Mm -hmm. that, that I've only recently realized is, is incredible religious abuse and trauma. Mm -hmm. And there was so much messaging, conflicting messaging where I was similar to you. Like I loved makeup, I had a career in makeup artistry prior to working in personal development. And, but I couldn't have Barbies growing up. Like Mm -hmm. it was this whole perspective of my parents would say, Barbies make you think you have to be pretty to be loved. So there was a, a complete message of sexuality, beauty, vanity, all of that is sinful and wrong. Mm -hmm. But that juxtaposed against all of the messages that I was receiving from my external world around what boys like and, you know, all of those things and trying to unpack all of, all of those elements and go, okay, where does that leave me in expressing my sexuality, Mm -hmm. expressing how I want to adorn my body, not by, you know, it's, it, it just feels like a head explosion sometimes of how do I manage (laughs) all of, all of these things. Right. And so it, it comes back to, I think, what do you want? How do you want to define yourself? What makes you feel good in your body? 
And that's one of the things that I've been focusing on a lot is not as much, what do I look like, but how do I feel inside my body? Totally. Because I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience where you look back at photos where you're like, wow, like, look at me, like, look at, look, I was beautiful and magnificent and amazing. But in that moment, when the photo was taken, that's not how you felt. And I think it's vice versa too. Like you can show up and, and not look as good. Like some, some of the photos of me where I feel my best is like when I'm hot and sweaty and on a hike and like no makeup and hair in a little bun and like, I feel amazing, but it's, so it's, it is about how you feel because it doesn't really matter if you're at your best weight or have a great hair day or whatever other criteria we put on how we should look when we show up. And it is fascinating because it is this mind explosion of the messages of that's vain and sinful But then if you like hair and makeup, but that's not your worth, right? It's like, what, what, and it all comes back to what feels like love. What do you want to have? What makes you feel your best? And it, if, if it's weighing 60 pounds less, then that's something to evaluate. Uh, That's such a great point. And I'm thinking about this in such a different light, because when you do look back at those photos, you're right. Your current perspective is one of, oh my gosh, look at me instead of remembering. And this, I think would be such a fantastic exercise is to remember at that time, I was so concerned about what I looked like in that outfit or Mm -hmm. sitting the right way in the bathing Mm -hmm. suit or having the camera up above me so that, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking like at that time, I wasn't thinking I'm hot shit. I love who I am. I'm proud of my body. So what are we genuinely being envious of? We're, we're being envious of societal criteria that we Mm -hmm. matched up with a societal criteria based in fucking what (laughs) in patriarchal influences, right? Right. I can get, I can get on board with doing it for the doing it for our sisters in the future. <laughs> like, sometimes well, you have to go a bit meta. Well, absolutely. And it, and it's sort of like, you know, when I, when I, recently I had an event and, um, there was a, a local photographer, um, that I used who, um, who her job was just to snap pictures of the event and of me speaking and whatever. And I usually, when photos come in of me, I'm not like, I, I really don't like a whole, I, I'm okay with color correction, but Photoshopping I'm not okay with and stuff like that. And so I'm not looking at the photo necessarily like, is this a flattering photo of me? It's more like, I just want to make sure that it's not sometimes editors that photographers hire will, it'll come back and I'll be like, okay, come on. I'm 48 years old. <laughs> like I have crow's feet. Quit trying to make me, let's looks weird. Quit it. Right. Um, stop assuming that I don't want people to see my forehead lines or whatever it might be. Anyway. Yeah. There were some photos that were not quote unquote flattering of me that came back that I'm like, you like use them They're, right. I mean, they're great. Like speaking from the stage photos. And, um, I got some mail 
from people saying like helpful tips, like, well, you know, if you'd worn Spanx with that dress, it would have been a little more flattering. And I kind of have a no Spanx rule in my life because I'm like, yeah, my butt jiggles and I have a little belly and who gives a shit? Like, right. I don't even get me started on shapewear. Um, and <laughs> so I thought it was kind of interesting that people were very uncomfortable with me not looking my best. Right. And so I challenged this one contributor, if you want to call her that. And I'm like, what about my belly protruding in this photo makes you uncomfortable. Like what about that is like, that's how, you know, I was like, I think I was like PMSing or something. Like who cares? Like, I I don't know. I think I might've eaten some chili. I don't know. It was just like, I'm bloated. And right. Obviously one of the things that we talk about so much on the show is how to speak up for yourself, how to have boundaries, all of, all of those things. And I was just talking about this with, with a colleague of mine, uh, who reached out and said, people keep sliding into my DMS, offering me all this unsolicited advice. And I said, she goes, what, how would you handle that? What would you say? And I said, I would respond and say, oh, I'm actually currently not accepting any unsolicited advice about my business. And I think you could do the same thing. And like, I'm actually not accepting any unsolicited advice about my body. And you might want to dig in and find out why you feel so compelled. And what kills me about that is it's internalized misogyny. I'm guessing it was largely from women. Yes. It was only from women. Yes. Right. And, and so we have to start thinking like if we're, if we're talking major meta, if you think about how systems of oppression function, any type of system of oppression, whether we're talking about white against black or able-bodied versus those with disabilities, the way in which that marginalized group stays oppressed is by believing that they're not enough, but then also by the oppressor pitting them against one another. Yeah. So the more that women can be pitted against one another, the less work the patriarchy has to do because women are already doing the internalized misogyny work. Yeah. By, 100%. Do, by enforcing that. So I think that is another element, a very small basic step of just telling people in your life, I'm not accepting comments about my physical body. I hope you can understand. Hey, so how's it going with your work? How's it like just shutting that shit down and not entertaining that that's a topic to be debated? Totally. I uh, similarly, I had this woman comment. There was a like a little Instagrammable that was uh, the photo was I was in this uh, gold sequined, very low cut top. You could see my cleavage easily. And um, she said, I'm sorry, I can't hear what you're saying over your boobs being out. And I said, I'm sorry, you know, I don't subscribe to the belief that women's bodies detract from their messages. And this woman, when I tell you the conversation, I'm like, (laughs) aren't we, aren't we over this? That we're like commenting on the, like you're showing too much skin or whatever, but apparently we're not. And I agree with you that, Um, when I look at the people commenting on Facebook ads, on social media, on sending unsolicited feedback about my body, it is 
99.9% of the time, women who have bought into the messaging that, you know, if you're going to be, I guess, on the internet, you should be more professional. You know, that I'm always being told to look more professional. And it's like, right. professional is part of the patriarchy. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I get to decide what's professional and how I show up. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, move, move on, move along. There's plenty of other folks that you can follow, but I, I really think this is an important conversation to be had because I think even those listening could go, Oh, I've totally body shamed people, Mm -hmm. not necessarily in a, Oh my gosh, they're in a fat body or they're in a this, but you shouldn't be showing that much cleavage or that's Mm -hmm. not professional or, and to just kind of take a step back and, and look at any time we have that gut judgment, what was that fueled by? Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's so good. It's such a good thing you're posing to your audience because it's true. I mean, and I think probably every single one of us can own up to that we've been, whether or not we said it or not, body shaming other people in our minds, having judgment about how a woman should or shouldn't appear. And then thinking about in our own lives, um, creating boundaries like you've discussed about like, hey, I'm just not, uh, I'm not, you know, the holidays are upon us. So all of the helpful critiques and comments from loved ones that will happen around holiday mealtime tables about what you should or shouldn't be eating or how you should or shouldn't be appearing or speaking, perfect time (laughs) to test those out. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I do also want to say that it's also incredibly important to have a healthy dose of compassion for yourself too, because I can think back to situations where I shamed other women and where I had just extreme uh, internalized misogyny and had no fucking vocabulary for what that even was Mm -hmm. because we're a product of that society. So it's, it's that whole, you know, once you know better, you do better kind of thing you know? So, so be gentle with yourself, everybody out there. So we are, we're just about to wrap up here, but I'm so glad I caught you. Thank you so much for picking up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This was juicy. You saved a 23 year old from total annihilation. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) Uh, So is there anything else you want to just leave everyone with or any, any just thoughts or final words? I would encourage everyone listening to really think about as you're, as you're becoming awake to all the ways that maybe you've subscribed to hustle culture or diet culture, think about how you want to approach business and life and food and body from a place of what are the, what are the things that I need to thrive? What are the things that I can surround myself with? And what are the ways that I can show myself that I deserve rest, nourishment, and love? And I think if you ask the question, what feels like love or um, approach your business, your profession, and your life from a place of, let me think about what I need to actually thrive instead of just get through the day, that'll start helping you make different choices. Nice. I love it. And where can people get more of you if they want to start stalking you out? Yay. So on social media, I'm at Susan Hyatt. My website is shyatt.com. And I also train coaches at the university for life coach training.com. 
Nice. Nice. Well, again, I'm, I'm hoping that you are nice and calm and you're not going to go strangle <laughs> a child. Uh, but I, I, I so appreciate you picking up and sharing your expertise. Thank you, Amy. All right, my friend, I'll, I'll call you later. All right. See ya. Well, I am so thrilled that we were able to catch Susan and that she did not hurt her child. (laughs) Uh, I know he was on her last nerve. So hopefully there were lots of little nuggets that you got out of today. And I do so appreciate you hanging out with me on the show. It would mean the world to me if you would rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform that you prefer to listen on. And don't forget to get your free workshop on by going to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. I'll be right back in your feed this time next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life.